You're listening to Pastor Scott Rising of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled Worshipful Rest, recorded on July 14th, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Scott as he preaches. Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. It is, it's a joy to be with you today as we continue in the Ten Commandments. Uh, we find ourselves in the Fourth Commandment today, and, um, and so welcome. If, if you're new to Harvest, it's, it's great to have you, whether you're here in beautiful Catanning or whether you find yourself at PVC with Pastor Mike as he will be there caring for you, or in, in Indiana where I have the joy of being a campus pastor, or maybe uh, this evening, uh, Sunday evening, with Uh, the Freeport campus. Harvest Community Church is one church that meets in four locations currently. And so that's our little introduction. Let's jump in to the fourth commandment. Um, Hey, for for those who don't know me, I, I love people. I mean, I really do. I find people fascinating. I, I've, I've never met a boring person. I just have to work harder sometimes to really bring it out of the people as I get to meet them. And if you'll take the time to get to know people, you'll find they are fascinating. Every human is made in the image of God, and you've never met an ordinary person. So I love to ask open-ended questions. I love to find out where people are from and kind of what makes them tick, right? But when I'm in a hurry, I always find myself asking people open-ended questions, and I generally don't have time to even to stop and to hear what they do. It's a really bad habit that I've been working to try to break. So if you, sometimes if I run into you, you might hear me say this, how are you doing, right? It's a lame question, really, um, because I'm not really asking about you sharing all the details of your life, even though you may. But what happens more often than not, that when I ask that question, the response that I get from people is this, well, well, actually, I'm exhausted. I'm really exhausted. I'm crazy busy. I'm totally stressed out. I mean, this more and more I hear this response. And, and I think I probably have answered that way myself. Maybe on a Sunday morning, I'm running around trying to check different things. And someone will say, how are you doing, Pastor Scott? Oh, I'm really good. I'm really busy, right? Have you ever answered this way? Um, I think it's, it's common in our culture right now. It seems that more and more people are, are stressed out caffeined up and on the verge of burnout. And I don't think it's by mistake. As a matter of fact, research has actually proven this to be true. Researchers have discovered that there's a link that that connects between excessive work hours and high blood pressure, right? Uh, Anxiety, sleepless nights, depression, and even heart disease. Uh, Many people are actually sacrificing themselves on the altar of their career. Uh, it's a real thing. And, they're, and, and, and it goes back to really the first commandment. They're drinking from a broken cistern generally, seeking to try to find life and satisfaction in it. And what they find is that it comes up empty and it leaves them wanting and needing more. And see, our American dream, actually, it really promotes this. It drives it. It pushes it. And so like donkeys chasing a carrot, we continue to run after this magic carrot to try to get it. We work extreme hours and we make in a real attempt to get this American dream and make a life for ourselves. And instead, what we generally end up doing is we generally end up wrecking the life that God has given us and, and entrusted us with, actually, to steward. And, and so we work, we work, we work, we work ourselves to death and nothing else. I actually had the opportunity to meet a man um, 
who about six years ago, early on in my ministry, his wife reached out to me and said, we need some help, we need some care. And so they came into my office and we start to talk. And I find out real quick, she feels very alone, very abandoned in her marriage. And I find out quickly why. This man actually was, was working like 80, 90 hours, but he was working on the field. And some days he would be gone for 70, 80 day stretches. Yeah, wow. It, I didn't even know it was legal. But the sad thing was, is he was actually sharing this with me almost as a badge of honor, right? I'm providing for my family. And I heard the heart behind that, and we started to talk through that. And it became very evident that if this marriage was going to actually have a chance, that he needed to quit his job. He needed to find a new career. And that was my counsel to him. And they never came back. I never saw them again. I did follow up with the wife. But I, I will tell you this. He didn't quit his job, by the way, but I actually ran into this couple a couple years ago, which was awesome because they are still together because Jesus eliminated his job, <laughs> which I thought was pretty neat. And um, he actually got a different job and it was closer to home and God's grace abounded for this man and they were doing really well. I actually enjoyed a dinner with them there and they thanked me and I was like, wow, that's, that's, it normally doesn't work out that way. And I was so thankful to hear that. See, this man didn't have a work problem. He had a worship problem. And that's what the Sabbath is about. So as we, as we look at this today, I want you to think about that. See, what do we do in a culture that promotes and, and applauds this type of behavior? Well, first of all, I think we need to humble ourselves before the Word of God. And, and I think we need to turn to the Word of God to learn and to seek the Lord in this moment. And learn this. You and I are, are a limited people. We're dependent. But we worship a limitless God. We worship one who, who needs nothing. And he's for you. If you're in Christ, he's for you. And so let's look at the fourth commandment now. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 11. You can follow along as I read. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Man, I love this. It was funny because as I was working through this, uh, a friend of mine, she's like, I love this commandment. It's my favorite one, right? She's like, I love to be able to just think that I get a day of rest. And, and I, I know there's probably many moms that are hearing that saying, amen. And hopefully you are getting that because sometimes moms just seem to not be able to do that. Don't miss this here. See, this God, this awesome God has set his people free out of the, the oppression of Pharaoh. And he's now teaching them how to live in the freedom that he has given them right? He's saying, listen, if you're going to work well, you better Sabbath equally well. That's what it means to be a free people. No doubt Pharaoh was working these people to death. And yet God is like, no, you can have a day of rest. I'll work for you. I'll care for you. You can take a day of rest. That's what the Sabbath means. The word Sabbath is the Hebrew word for ceasing or resting. And God was commanding his people to rest from their labor, right? That's a great commandment. What a good God, right? This commandment to keep the seventh day holy didn't just start here at the giving of the law, though. 
We see that right in our text today. Look at verse 11 again with me. It goes the whole way back to creation, right? It says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. I mean, the first Sabbath was enjoyed on a Saturday by God. (laughs) Think about that. right? That's a wild thing. Why did God need to rest? Was he tired? Was he tired after speaking everything into existence? No. God doesn't get tired. He's limitless. Why did he do this? See, he rested primarily to teach us something. And I think you're going to see that, but I want to go to the book of Mark in the New Testament because I think you'll see it very explicitly. See, we need to think about the heated exchange that happened between Jesus and some, some Pharisees while Jesus and the disciples were walking through a grain field. It's found in Mark 2. And, the, and they're walking, and the disciples obviously were hungry. It's a Sabbath day. And, and what, what they do is they actually start plucking some grain heads from the, the field as they're walking, and they're rubbing it in their hands, and they're popping it in their mouth, and they're enjoying a snack. And somehow, out of the grain field, magically appear some Pharisees. And, and they are looking at Jesus and his disciples, and they are not very happy that Jesus' disciples are enjoying a snack on the Sabbath. And so they make sure that they tell Jesus, I'm not very happy with you or your people. Why are they doing what is unlawful? <laughs> and I love that the uptight Pharisees do this, and, and Jesus is not taken off guard at all. As a matter of fact, he doesn't miss a beat. And he asks them this question, have you not read the scriptures? I love when Jesus does that. Every time I read that in the Bible, I just crack up, because these guys, but it's actually scary and humbling for me, because I'm, I'm more close to that than not. I'm always reading the scripture. So what am I missing, right? So let me temper that. But he says, hey, have you guys not read the scriptures, right? And they're like, of course we have. Well, then he gives them a Bible lesson about David and the bread of presence, right? Okay, we're not talking about all that tonight. But what I want to do is tell you what he says to them in Mark 2, 27. Because I think you need to see it if you're going to understand the Sabbath. He says this, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Oh, that's important that you get this because see, giving a day of rest to his people, to their children, to the servants, and even to those who are passing through the land and even the animals is a profound act of love from a good God. You need to see that. That's the first point of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gracious gift from a good God. Sadly, sadly, many people hear this word Sabbath and they they cringe. And there's different reasons for that. One of the reasons is because people many times wrongly think that that God somehow has set out to ruin your weekend, right? Like that's his whole goal in life is he just wants to ruin your weekend. He wants to tell you what you cannot do. And so we like, we hear that and it's like, I can't even, you know, start a fire and enjoy a campfire. I can't do this, can't do that. And we think about all the things we cannot do. Okay, let's set that aside. Another reason that some people cringe when they hear that word is because historically what has happened is people have actually fought over this word and over this day. Um, some people like Seventh-day Adventists, they, they actually believe that the Sabbath should be only celebrated and enjoyed on Saturday, even for New Testament Christians. So much so that they would say that if you do not worship on Saturday or rest in the Sabbath as the Hebrews did then, you're not even a Christian. 
Well, the problem with that is it's actually the early church that changed the day to Sunday, right? Why? To celebrate the triumphant resurrection of King Jesus on that day. And so that day switched. Some still argue over this. And as a matter of fact, America couldn't even make up their mind what should happen there. So what they did is said, "Mm, let's just take two days off. Let's have a five-day work week, and let's enjoy Saturday and Sunday, right? So that's a good conflict resolution. I like that. And so, and if you have two days off a week, you should like that because that's a good thing. But another reason people cringe is because, man, there are some people who are like pharisaical ticks, right? And they are scurrying around trying to suck all the joy out of your Christian life by attaching rules to you that don't exist in the Bible, and that's why this is such a, an argumentative piece. But, but I want to take all of that out of there because the Sabbath is not given in order to suck the life out of you. It's actually given to bring structure and joy into your lives, which actually is life-giving. It's a gift. It's to be enjoyed. So what does it look like practically to do that? Well, that's, that's a good question. I want to quote Tim Keller, uh, and, and here's what he says. The purpose of the Sabbath is not simply to rejuvenate yourself in order to do more production, nor is it in the pursuit of pleasure. The purpose of the Sabbath is to enjoy your God, life in general, what you've accomplished in the world through his help, and the freedom that you have in the gospel, the freedom from slavery to any material object or human expectation. And I think, well, that's a really good definition. So since God rested after six days of creation, you and I, as limited people, we need to rest after six days of working and creating in our lives. That's why he says to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. It's different, to set it aside, to be very intentional, which is our second point. See, the Sabbath is, is an opportunity to gather and rejoice in worship. It's to be worshipful. To be sure, I mean, every day is a day to rejoice, right? Yes, it is. I mean, it's a day to respond in worship, adoration to King Jesus. I mean, Jesus had the conversation with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And they're actually having a a discussion about location, actually. And she says, is it on this mountain that we should worship? Or is it down in Jerusalem, like you guys say? And he says this in John 4, 23. He says, the hour is actually coming, and it's now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. See, so when he says that time is here, he does not mean just one day a week. So we are living sacrifices. That's what the Bible teaches. We are to be worshiping every day. We are living sacrifices. But does that mean that the Sabbath doesn't matter? No, no, it does. It does. We've entered into an eternal rest because Jesus rose from the grave. He's created a new people for himself. And he's ushered in essentially a new humanity and a new creation. And with it came a new day of worship, right? But it, but it could be Friday night at the Catanian campus. That, maybe that's your day. Maybe it's Sunday. But it needs to be very intentional. See, our response to this joyous news is to enjoy God and to collectively gather and worship him as a people, right? In order to do that, You and I, we have to be very diligent to accomplish all of our work in six days. 
and to plan ahead, to come to church not exhausted because you've given yourself to everything in six days and then just come here and fall asleep because the lights are dim and you didn't have enough coffee. No, 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 that's not what it means. It means to come ready to engage this living God because that is where real life comes from. And so we want to be intentional. And we see that practice in the early church. Look at Acts 2.42 with me. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship by the breaking of bread and prayers. So, I mean, we see, man, they're, they're sitting under the apostles' teaching. They're, they're fellowshipping. That means there's not just them by themselves in the woods, worshiping God all by themselves. No, they're gathered. And, and not only that, but they're, they're breaking bread. That could be the Lord's Supper. It could be just them enjoying some meal and, and praying together, right? It's a beautiful thing to gather with the people of God. And we must gather together and rejoice in the fact that, that we have been rescued from our sins and united with Christ. And also we've been united to one another by faith in Jesus. That's what it means to gather. And, and because we're united with Jesus and to one another, we must gather weekly with thankful hearts to worship God, not as individuals who are isolated from one another, but collectively. It's a gift. It's a joy. It's a privilege. We need to do this. We gather to sing, to pray, to hear the teaching and preaching of God's word, and to love one another. And as we meet together with God, collectively, it's beautiful because he shows more of himself. He shows more of his ways, more of his purposes. And and this leads us to actually seeing more of his glory as we structure our lives around gathering together as a people. See, God strengthens us through the fellowship of community with other believers. He really does. I mean, I tell people all the time, you need to go from the crisis that you find yourself in right now into the community of God's people because in the gathering is real healing. It's real healing. So, so we need to do this. We must make attending the church gathering a priority in our lives. We really must. And, and you'll be blessed Like God, he doesn't want to ruin your life. He's for you. You're in Christ. He's for you. He wants to give you life. And so this is a blessing. It's it's always my favorite thing to get together with the church to worship God. And it's always been true. And you might be thinking, well, whoa, easy for you to say, pastor man, right? I mean, you work one day a week. I mean, I know you're on this week twice, but seriously. Well, I got two things to say to that. First off, I have not always been a pastor. I know, shocker. Um, I used to manage a, a radio shack and I had some other stores and they were good Hebrew company, not really, but they made us work six days. And in that six day work week, they said no less than 54 hours a week. That was the minimum you could do your job in, apparently. And generally we would end up working more. And this created a lot of let's say challenges to, to truly step back from like just resting in one day, to shut the phone down, to turn it off, to enjoy my family. And it, it did create some challenges, and, but they were challenges that were good because my wife and I were seeking to have a day of worshipful rest. And so we worked hard. We worked very diligently in those six days to accomplish all the different tasks that we had to accomplish so that we could gather with the church on a Sunday, and then go home and do things that were enjoyable. Second off, though, 
Coming on to staff as a full-time pastor, you think, well, that would be easier, right? Yes and no. I got to tell you, I, I wrestled for the first many years in Indiana because things were just so exciting. Everything was taking off. It required a lot of time and energy from me and from my family. And it was easy to just say, it's okay. All that we're doing is worshipful. It's easy just to run, 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 run until you start to get very weary from running. And, and I realized I could easily categorize that in my mind. It's okay because I'm building the church, right? But then what I realized is I was was wearing down and God in his kindness through some some friends of mine who are pastors just come in and said, Scott, you need to take a day of rest. Even though what you're doing isn't work like you would think work, you still just need a day to unplug. And so God's kindness rescued me from my flawed thinking. And he did that. And he showed me that he is limited less and I'm limited and it's okay that I can take a day off because Jesus has promised I will build my church he will and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it so the world won't end if you took a day of rest and that was good to know so I understand the struggle I really do as a as a person who is seeking to do this and it's going to be a struggle but you I trust are people who can figure this out and it will take some intentionality but you can do it you should do it it's not just a suggestion gathering to worship together taking a day of rest is not just a suggestion it's not an accessory that you just get to add on to your life if it if it really benefits you no God tells us to do this because it is a way of life that we should structure our lives around it's a healthy rhythm for God's people and for all people for that matter and so we need to do this we should make every attempt to gather with the church if you're out of town seriously I know Mike says this all the time but he pounded it in my head and we've done it since by God's grace if you're out of town find a place to go and gather and worship so like God willing, we're going to go on vacation at the beginning of August, and I've already found the place where we're going to go worship on a Sunday morning. I'm looking forward to it. I just get to go in and be that guy, and we're going to worship. I hope to encourage the pastor, but we're just going to get out of there. We're going there to worship God and meet his people where we're going. It's a way of life, and and you need to make it a priority. And when you do, you'll start to realize all these other things start to fall into place. But what about the rest of the day? All right, so I got the whole church thing, check, right? So, but what do I do about the rest of the day? I just, whatever I want, right? Well, maybe. I mean, what I don't want to do is become a pharisaical tick and just stick things on you, but I do want to think practically with wisdom. So here's what I would say. The Sabbath, this is your next point, is an opportunity to rest from your labors and trust in God while doing good, Okay? And I'm going to stress that, right? See, because my goal here is to talk practically. I'm not giving you commands. But I want to remind you that the Sabbath is not just about what you do not do on a particular day. I think that's how most people think about it. But it's much more about what you do with that day. You know, my wife, Jessie, she would always say this, that we need to fill that day with things that are life-giving. That'd be the word she would use, right? And that stir our affections for Jesus, and give us an opportunity to love one another and, and a chance to love other people. And so our, our day will generally, although it doesn't always go that way, I don't want you to have like wrong thinking about my family. Like, like we just like levitate around Elderton and like, woohoo, we're awesome. We blow it many days, I'm telling you. But we're, we're always striving towards this goal, okay? So don't think we got it all figured out. We don't. 
But what our day will generally look like is it will look like us gathering with family and friends and food. It might include us going for a walk, reading a book, playing a game, enjoying time out on the deck, eating ice cream, enjoying a a caffeinated coffee beverage, right? Going for a drive. My daughter loves to go for rides in the car and and crank some serious music. It might enjoy that. Uh, It might... It might be just enjoying God's creation, watching a sunset. I don't know what it looks like for you, but that's what it looks like for us. It's just an opportunity to unplug from the busyness of life and to plug in to God and to the people he's put in our lives. So we look forward to it. It's a blessing, right? I I think sometimes in the busyness of life, we think, well, we'll get to that someday. We'll get to that someday. Right now, no way right? And and I remember those days. We were crazy when we were young. We're still crazy now. It's just different. Um, We we were planning a wedding and building a house at the same time. Really bad decision. You should not do that. It's like great for an opportunity to have a quick divorce. Um, But God's grace abounded, right? And so what happened was I said, just, you just need to take care of the wedding. I'll take care of the house. I will meet you on that day. I will say I do, and we'll figure this thing out, right? And so when that house was built, you think, oh, all the work's done. <laughs> That's a stupid thought. Um, I didn't realize how much work needed to be done because grass just doesn't automatically grow, apparently. You've got to do things with the yard and all these different things, and not everything's just awesome. You've got to paint. You've got to do all these things. So we did that, and we were just figuring, but We'll just get to this season. We'll get through this season, and then we'll have rest, right? Well, that's flawed thinking, because guess what? You're always going to be busy. You're going to be busy. We, we used to say we just need to get through this season of life, and then we can enjoy a rest. But what we have found is that the next season is going to come with its own joys and burdens. It will. And, and, and you think you're going to get through that, so you plow through that season, and you miss many blessings and benefits because you think, if I just get to this point in time, then I can rest. But what you don't realize is that season that you're in right now, God wants to teach you something. It's filled with His grace, and it's filled with His goodness, and it's a time to obey. It's a time to trust Him. It's a time to rest. It really is a faith issue. The Sabbath is a faith issue. Do you trust that you can step back? Or do you think you're sovereign? Do you think that if you step back, that the whole world crashes? I promise you it won't. You can rest, and you should. You will rest one way or another. I promise you that. You'll either obey this command and enjoy rest, or you'll burn out and you'll get rest. One way or another, it will happen. But see, we can trust that that God will do this, that the world will not crash all around us because we slowed down to obey God and enjoy the life that he has given us. It won't. You can trust him. And so what does it look like, practically speaking? Well, I got, I got some very helpful wisdom years ago. I don't know who to actually say said this because I heard it in a podcast, but I'm going to just read the quote. Whoever said it, good stuff. All right. Those who work with their hands should Sabbath with their mind. Okay, I like that, right? So if you're pouring out energy after energy all week, maybe masonry work or, or, or working in the coal mines, whatever that looks like, man, you should stop your labor and, and pick up a book. You should rest. But maybe your whole week's behind a, commu- a computer screen or reading books or, or learning and, and you're sitting at your desk. Well, then they would say, those who work with their minds should Sabbath with their hands. And I get this, right? Because we just had a tree that got knocked down in a windstorm 
And uh, I had a neighbor come over. This dude works very hard with his hands a lot. He, he works long hours. But he came over to help me out, brought his chainsaw, and, and he just wants to be done. And I'm like, I'm enjoying it. I got the wheelbarrow. I'm like loading up the wood. I'm like ready to go chop it. And I'm having fun. And he looks at me. He's like, you're strange. And I'm like, I know. And he's like, you're li- you like this, don't you? I was like, I do like this because it's just easy for me. And and it's because I don't do it all the time, right? You'd be like, well, it wouldn't be easy if you did it all day. You're right, it wouldn't. But I could see the progress getting done. I like to be able to see the yard starting to get cleaned up. I like to be able to see the wood getting stacked. I could step back and see that because much of my work, I don't get to see that. So I enjoyed that. I don't know how that relates to you. You can figure that out. You have the Holy Spirit of God living inside you. Ask for wisdom, ask for help. He'll help you. So the people of God, listen, this matters. Not only for you, but for our witness. It really does, right? Because God's people are to declare the good news of Jesus. We are to tell people this gospel. But we're also supposed to demonstrate the effects of the gospel in our lives by how we love one another. And so how we rest is actually a witness to the onlooking world. Are we the same as everybody else? Or is there something different? about us. And I think how we rest resembles our trust in God. Do you trust him? See, see, don't forget, don't forget that the Sabbath is not just about what you do not do. I said that once again, but I'm going to say it now. It's much more about what you do with this day. So be intentional. Be an intentional person, right? So I love going to people's homes that like, like to throw stealer parties, right? You want to talk about intentionality. I have never seen people get so intentional about a day. They are wearing their, their, their little suits, right? What do you call that, a jersey? Uh, they got all this different food. They might even have cake, and the cake says, we love Steelers, and like all the different types of food. They got football food. They got this, and, and I'm just like, this is wild, right? And I'm not even knocking that. It's like, if you do that, cool thing. Um, great. But, but be as intentional or maybe more intentional about how you rest on your day of rest that the Lord has given you. Think about it. Plan it out. And by the way, as I'm saying this, the whole week as I'm preparing this sermon, I'm like, yeah, I need to get better at that. I have failed miserably at this lately. Okay, I need to get a checkup. Thank you, Lord. Right? If you think that like we just step up here and we preach because we got it all together, <laughs> I got news for you. I mean, I, I need corrected many times when I'm teaching and preaching the Word of God. And so I got some gentle corrections. And, and I think it'll be a blessing to my family. And, and I want you to know, it's good to be intentional. It's great to be intentional. Jesus was intentional about what he did in the public eye on the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, he taught on the Sabbath. We see that in Mark 6, 1 through 2. It says, he went away from there and he came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. Verse 2, and on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? So he not only taught, but he also healed on the Sabbath. We see that in Matthew 12, 9 through 14. It says, he went from there and he entered the synagogue and there was a man with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful? Jesus asked, they asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? So they're trying to set up a trap for Jesus. And he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? 
of how much more value is a man than a sheep. So, he says, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Yeah, look, this, that's insanity, by the way, right? You want to know if you're like under like, like the domain of darkness, you see Jesus heal people and you want to go destroy Jesus. He healed on the Sabbath. Of course it was good to do. Notice the Pharisees didn't like that he was doing good. Because why? Well, they took a joyous gift from God, which is the Sabbath, and they made it a heavy burden for his people, which is so sad, so sad. What they did is they took like 39 different, let's call them like boundaries and put it around the law and they made it so you can't even do good on that day. And Jesus is like, we're not having that. No doubt this grieved him. And so he did heal. And this this made it something... um, The Pharisees made it something that you had to do in order to get God's grace instead of letting it be a grace for his people. You had to earn the way to do this and Jesus would have none of it. And in Mark 2, 28, he said this, the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now don't miss this. I love that Jesus comes on the scene. He flexes his muscles. He tells the Pharisees, listen, I'm telling you, I'm the one who I have authority over the Sabbath. He had authority and he had power to overrule these Pharisaical ticks and that were sucking the life out of God's grace and gift to his people. And he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And he could do that. He had the right and the authority to do whatever he pleased. Why? Because he always did what pleased his Father in heaven. Don't miss that. This pleased God, the Father, because Jesus is God in the flesh. Question, do you and I always seek to do the things that please God? Is that your posture? Is that your posture on a day of worship? If not, I, I guess it's okay to be there. It's not okay to stay there. It's time to change. And it's good. He's given you grace to change. He's empowered you to change. And it will bring healing for your life. So so never forget, listen, that Jesus himself is our perfect Sabbath. Don't miss that. Rest will come. You might be here right now and you're burdened, right? Ultimately, rest is not found in a Sabbath only. It's found in the one who is Lord over the Sabbath. It's found in Jesus. That's where real rest comes from. So so are you tired? Are you tired of working all the time? I'm not talking just physical work. I'm talking working to try to get God to love you. I want you to hear that Matthew 11, 28, when Jesus says, come to me. You want rest? Go to Christ. You want rest? He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He'll give you rest. Go to him. You can trust him. Why? Because the Sabbath is an opportunity to find spiritual rest in Jesus. To be reminded of what you know. Right? I mean, many people struggle with the Sabbath because they have spiritual amnesia, essentially. They forget who God is and they forget who they are in Christ. And that's where many of your your problems in life come from, actually. Knowing your true identity in Christ is the key to everything. I mean, this is important. See, who you are in Christ is far more important than who you think you are or who anyone would say that you are. And you need to know this, 
right? Because way too many people are actually burning themselves out, trying to work and, and maintain like self-image, right? And, and trying to get their self-esteem. They're working essentially for acceptance, although they may not know it. And they're working for an identity, right? I hear it all the time. You know, people are saying, I'm just trying to be the best spouse ever. You're like, I wish that was my problem. Well, pray, right? But, but they may say, I want to be the best mommy ever. I just want to be the best mommy, right? I just don't want to mess up. And so they're working. And it's good to want to be a good mom. But when that, that's like your identity, that's your driver, you're going to exhaust yourself. And you're going you're gonna to come up wanting. Maybe you want to be the best dad, the best employee, the best boss, the best Christian, the best student, the best child. And even now, it's like really cool to try to be the best at being the worst, which I don't understand. That's strange. But all of this is because people are trying to find their identity in that. And I want you to know that's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting because you're forgetting where your identity comes from. It doesn't come from what you do. It comes from what Jesus has done in your place and who you are in him. That's where your identity comes from if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, let me clue you in on something. You're working for an identity too. And you know that it's just not satisfying. And so you need to come in to the family of God by trusting in Jesus for your salvation. And when you do, you get a new identity you, you become God's child. See, so I, I just want to remind you, if you're in Christ, listen, this is for the, the Christian. I want to remind you who you are. So pay attention, because even though you may know this, you can't hear it enough, right? And so who are you? Well, first off, you've got to be in Christ. That means you have put your faith and trust in Jesus for your salvation. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, as in Adam, all die. Right? So we're all born into Adam. We need to be born again into Jesus. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. So if you're in Christ, you're alive. You're born again. You're in Jesus and he's in you. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is now at work in you. That should blow your mind forever, for like all of eternity. And I'm I'm trusting it will. But but you're also justified, right? It's a fancy word for saying that your, your guilt is gone. Your guilt is gone. It is as if you have never sinned. He's banged the gavel. God has banged the gavel and he has declared you innocent because you have the righteousness of Christ, right? So Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore no condemnation. What that means is there's no more wrath for you. None, it's gone. Jesus drank it all on the cross in your place and he drank it to the last drop. There's no admixture of wrath for you if you're in Christ. God is not looking at you with like some love in the left eye and wrath in the right eye. That's not how it works. He adores you because you're in Christ. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Know that. Man, if that doesn't give you rest, you're not paying attention. You need to ask God to help you. If you don't hear that and say, now that's rest. Because you might have like a hundred problems. But if the wrath of God is gone, oh, let me tell you, that's your greatest problem and it's been removed. Because no matter what problem you have right now, it's just temporary, right? So, you, but not only that, not only does he pardon your sins, not only does he forgive your sins, but guess what he does? He brings you into the family. He adopts you. He adopts you. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. <laughs> God is your father. 
That means you are his child, and that means you inherit all that he has for you. And he's a good God. He's a good father. And, and some people really struggle with this because maybe they had a terrible upbringing. I, I, I want you to know that can be hard. It really can be. And, and, and I'd, I'd ask you to, to really think long and hard biblically and through the scriptures about God in heaven as your perfect father. And, and don't judge God in heaven based on the earthly father that you had. And that's going to take a lot of work and a lot of grace. But I can tell you this, God is more than willing and able to transform your mind. Okay? So I, I want you to know, I know that's a real hindrance, but don't let it be work. Work to see God smiling down upon you approving of you because of the blood of Christ. He loves you, right? And you're secure. You're secure because why? Because I'm in the family and he's not gonna kick me out, right? Because in Romans 8, 38 and 39, it says this, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things in the present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are resting in the hands of a sovereign God and that God is your father and he's for you. He's not against you. He wants you to enjoy more of him so much that he frees you. He frees you. You're free. You're free from Satan, from sin, and, and really even from death. Although you still might die physically, you will not die. You'll go to be present with the Lord. Romans 6, 5 and 6 says this, For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that, why? So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You're free. You're free. You are free to obey. You're free to enjoy God. This does not mean that you never sin. That's not what it says. But you're free not to. Do you think of your life like that? Do you think about the fact that I don't have to give in to this temptation right now because Jesus has set me free. His spirit's in me. I can choose to love my enemy right now. You can do that because Christ is in you and he gives you power, real power in that moment. And then here's the last one. This might seem strange to you, but I think you need to be reminded of this. At least some of us do. You're unfinished. You are unfinished. You have not arrived right? You have not reached sinless perfection, but here's some good news for you. I am sure in Philippians 1, 6, it says, and I am sure of this, that he, God who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's good news. You ever have weeks or days where you're thinking, oh, I don't know if this is really working for me. I'm blowing it. I've lost my temper. I yelled at my kid for the 30th time this day. Maybe you're having tension at home. Maybe it's, maybe it's good at home. Maybe it's at work. I want you to know you're unfinished. But that same God who has done this work in you is faithful to bring it to completion. He will do it. You can trust him. And that can cause you to rest while you strive, right? While you strive to seek to be more like Christ because he's given you power to strive. That's the beauty of it. He's given you grace, and grace enables us to obey. And, and that leads us to our last point. Our last point. I want you to think about this. Our true rest 
is not found in a day. But ultimately, it's found in the finished work of Jesus and trusting in his perfect life, his substitutionary death, his triumphant resurrection. And it's only in Jesus that you and I will actually find real rest. Isn't that good news? That's good news that you and I actually have real rest in Christ. So sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's like we're not tired from working we're tired because we're striving to get love. I'm serious. This happens all the time. I see it all the time. They're just trying to get people to love them. I want you to know, if you're in Christ, you're infinitely loved. Your Father in heaven delights in you. His smile is upon you. Why? Because you're in Christ. He's in you. He's done it all. He'll get you to the end. You can rest assured of that, and you should. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.